0: Well, um, you don't have to know me very well to find out quickly that I don't know a lot about cars. If you tell me about cars and what kind of car you drive, and we were part of the car show, you know, and people were telling me all about their cars, I will smile, and I will nod, and I will be polite, and I'll look like I know what you're talking about. There's a good chance I have no idea, uh, what's going on, um. I know some of the things you're supposed to know as a car owner, right, Um, things like when the brakes start squealing, you should probably get them checked, right, okay, Um, when the windshield wipers start squeegeeing really bad and the rain's not really going off your windshield, I can replace windshield wipers, Um, if you leave your lights on, the battery will die, I know that from personal experience. Uh, These are things that every car owner should know. And there's one more thing. You have to keep oil in the car, Right. right? And you have to keep it changed regularly. Without the oil, the engine will fail or will at least experience poor performance until it inevitably dies. The oil is the lubricant for the engine to run smoothly. I don't know much about cars, but thanks be to God, I know a little bit about his church. If the church were a motor vehicle, I believe the oil would be the office of the deacon. Without oil, the engine will deteriorate, performance will suffer, and it will eventually fail. God gave the office of deacon to the church to keep the engine running smoothly. Now, let me give you kind of a recap of where we are, if, if you're kind of coming into this fresh. If you weren't here last week, we started a, a new little three-week series on uh, church government. Woohoo! right? 2021, coming in strong. So everybody's favorite topic, we talked about elders from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-5. through 5. Uh, This is God's gift to the church. These men who are at the helm of the ship leading as captains, they lead through oversight and through shepherding. They are the ones who have authority to steer the vessel towards holiness and health and fulfilling the Great Commission. We discussed in great detail who these men are and what they are responsible for. I told you at the end of the sermon that I'm leading us to govern ourselves as an elder-led congregational church. An elder-led congregational church. I believe this is what the Bible says presents to us. We talked about the elder-led part last week, which is hard to deny in Scripture, and we'll get into the congregational part a little bit more next week as we discuss saints and membership in the body of Christ. Um, I believe that any church that is really seeking to follow the Bible will practice some version of this, uh, but there, are, there is sort of a spectrum of where many churches tend to fall. So I've got a graph or a table up on the screen. I hope that you can see it well. It might be a little bit small, um, but I'll walk through it for you. uh, So you can kind of help see where other churches maybe you've been a part of in the past have landed and where we seek to land on the topic. You can see on the left-hand side, the top uh, of the table, you've got extreme congregational rule. This is where the congregation is completely running the show, making all of the decisions from uh, the color of the carpet to when to fill up the uh, van with gas, right? Um, They're making all the decision, and therefore there's really no leaders at the church, and there's also no followers. Uh, This can create many, many problems in the context of the local church when the congregation is seeking to be uh, extreme in its rule. The second one, going towards the right, is strong congregational rule. So maybe it's not extreme, but there's still uh, a strong ruling of the congregation uh, in, in the body. There are some leaders who are developed, and they maybe have somewhat of a voice of the congregation, but there are poor followers because the congregation as a whole doesn't know who to follow still. And then there's what I have bolded in the middle, which is where we seek to land, a balanced, elder-led ministry. This is where we have shepherds who are leading and we have a congregation who is following, right? Shep- shepherds who are leading and a congregation who is following. But you can still go too to far, to far on the spectrum. Uh, if you have strong elder rule, which you have maybe been a part of in some churches or have seen, you have strong leaders, uh, but if the congregation doesn't have buy-in, To those leaders, you only have some followers. The church will be slow to follow that authority. And if you have extreme elder rule, you will have only leaders, or you will have only followers, because they won't have a choice. They won't have buy-in, right? So we want to follow we want to land somewhere in the middle here of a balanced, elder led congregational church. Uh, No matter what type of government the church pursues. You'll notice on this chart that deacons aren't there. So why are we talking about deacons? What's the role of of deacons in church government? I think it's time for us to do as we did again last week, to remove any stereotypes that we had about elders and now that we've had about deacons and what their role is in the body of Christ. Let's drink from the Bible, right, without watering anything down. Deacons are not bankers or businessmen. Deacons are not maintenance workers who fix broken stuff. Deacons are not trustees, managers, or key holders. Deacons are the oil that keeps the engine moving and the body making disciples. So we're going to keep the same format as we did last week. Who are the deacons? What do they do? And why does it matter? Who are the deacons? What do they do? Why does it matter? Look at verse 1 again, chapter 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, "'It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty.'" but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. We'll stop there. In uh, Acts chapter 6, we find the church flourishing uh, after they have been born. Jesus has ascended back into heaven. Uh, the, the, the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit descended. 3,000 were added to their number. The gospel was going forth. People were being saved. They grew. And as they grew, so did their various dilemmas. A complaint arose in the congregation. The Hellenists, Christians, were being neglected. The Hellenists in those days were Greek-speaking Jews. They had a different culture than the Hebrews. There was some neglect going on that was causing division. The Hellenists realized that their widows weren't getting a plate from the daily potluck, right? Right? I don't know if it was a a potluck uh, or if they had chocolate pie, um, but whatever it was, they weren't getting any. Um, Some may actually believe it was uh, some type of financial aid, or it could have even been partaking of the Lord's Supper. Regardless, the Hellenist widows were being neglected, and it seems to have been on purpose. So the twelve apostles, they get together and they work this thing out. They say, we've got to do something. Something must be done about this. This is an early picture of what uh, the elders' oversight was to look like. They saw disputes in the body, and they proactively sought to make things right according to what would glorify God. So the apostles told the disciples to pick out seven brothers from among you who are going to make sure these ladies aren't being neglected. Well, why wouldn't the apostles just do it themselves, right? Well, the Bible says us, says it's not right for the apostles to give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. These men would devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Here we have the first clue of distinction that these servants that are being chosen should not be confused with the office of elder. They should not be confused with the office of... Of elder. In fact, they actually serve to support the elders and their ministry. What is their ministry of the elders? Well, the apostles, if they were sort of uh, showing the first eldering of the early New Testament church, we have them committing themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, some have, have said, you know, pastoring in its simplest form is 50 50, uh, 50% prayer, 50% a ministry of the word. We talked about this last week. The elders shepherd the body through prayer and preaching along with other various uh, forms of shepherding. And these seven other disciples were to be table waiters, making sure the church was taken care of and that no one was left out. So they chose these seven godly men. They put them before the apostles. The apostles said, yeah, these are the ones. They laid their hands on them. They appointed them to this task. And guess what? They all have Greek names. Because the Hellenists were Greek-speaking widows who were being neglected. Isn't that cool? Right? So what a way to bring unity. Put Greek-speaking people in leadership so that the Greek-speaking people aren't neglected. Right? Not a bad idea. What what we find here in Acts chapter 6 is, is the prototype of the first deacon in the New Testament church. And the Bible does not talk near as much about the office of deacon... As it does the office of elder. And that's okay. That's okay. People you know, kind of get confused. But, but if we put the puzzle pieces together. We can see that the church grew from this point. Took on more structure. As the apostles did their teaching. And they worked through issues. And eventually an office was developed for this role of servanthood. What would they call these Servants. Well, they called them servants. Literally, diakonos is the Greek word for deacon. It means servant. It can mean to kick up dust, to make something happen. If you are running an errand or helping with a specific task, this is what deaconing looks like, to wait on someone like a table waiter, to perform an act of service in an individual specific manner. We see this word first used in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus has a mother approach him with her two sons, and she gets this great idea. You know, maybe one of my kids can sit on your left and the other one can sit on your right uh, when you get your kingdom. And I don't know if the disciples had a similar idea in another chapter, right? Uh, But, of course, this doesn't work out. Jesus teaches his disciples through it. He says to them, whoever would be great among you must be your diaconess. Whoever would be great among you must be your deacon." Jesus goes on to say, For the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon, and to give his life as a ransom for many. John chapter 12 on the screen. If anyone deacons me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my deacon also be. If anyone deacons me, the Father will honor him. Jesus straight up says, I came to be a deacon. I came to serve, right? And I'm calling my followers to be deacons too. This word is not only translated as deacon or servant, but also as minister or ministry. This is an even wider scope then of what the deacon is to look like. In that case, we see the apostles refer to themselves as deacons. Deacons of the gospel, right? And then we see angels Referred to as deacons, ministers. We even see demons referred to as deacons in the Bible. Ministry is a broad word, and it depends entirely on the task at hand. But in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul teaches that Christ reconciled himself to us and gave us the deaconing of reconciliation. So then anyone in Christ is a deacon. We are all called to ministry. We are all called to serve. We are all called to put on our uh, towels and bend low and wash feet. This is the ministry of every Christian if we are ministers of the gospel. So it's only natural that if, if a formal position was going to be formed in the church, chosen from among the congregation, appointed by the elders, they must be called deacons. A deacon is an office within the church that focuses on service. They are plural, just as the elders are plural. We aren't told how many each church ought to have. I know many churches get hooked on numbers, and they have limitations and, and maximum amount of deacons. We have no set limitation or max in our church, and we have every intention to keep it that way but what it seems was going on in acts chapter six is that deacons were being chosen for a specific purpose they needed seven godly greeks to minister to the hellenists to bridge the divide and it's probably a good practice in our day as well to pick out deacons who can fill specific needs we'll talk about that in a little bit uh more detail in a moment but but There's a great emphasis here, not only on their servanthood, but also on their qualifications, who they are. Just as the New Testament took time to point out who are the elders and why are they qualified, so it does about deacons. Paul spells out the qualifications just as he did for elders in 1 Timothy 3. They are to be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They should be tested first and proved to be blameless. They should not be slanderers, but sober-minded and mindful of others, faithful. They should manage their households well. Again, these, like the elders, are not extravagant things right? These are things that every Christian ought to aspire to. We, we should all uh, want these qualifications, but there are a few things that we need to point out about them. First of all, they aren't required to teach. They aren't required to teach, right? Like we saw about the elders. They can teach, and it's wonderful if they can teach, but they are separate from the elders in that they do not need to be the primary or even secondary teachers within the congregation. Secondly, I think holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, as it says in 1 Timothy 3, tells us that they are spiritually zealous individuals. Acts 6 says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Stephen was one of those who preached the gospel to his persecutors and was killed because of it. Deacons ought to know the gospel through and through and have a zeal for the things of God. Third, they must be tested in some way before becoming a deacon. It's, it's very clear in 1 Timothy 3. This shows us that it was an official office, and that prerequisites were required. They had to pass the test. The testing process varies from church to church, but it's important that we not allow individuals into leadership that are not qualified. This is partly why the first seven were brought to the apostles so the apostles could lay their hands on them and say, yes, these are the right Men. And fourth, I've already talked about this before because Mariana says I've preached on deacons too much. Um, the Bible does give room for the deaconess. Uh, the office of elder is specifically a male-only position. Since they maintain authority over the congregation through the scriptures. But deacons do not have any authority over the congregation. 1 Timothy 3 uh, verse 11 Many Bibles translate as their wives, literally in the Greek, it just says the women. The women. Um, the church grew, and they found that women were wonderfully useful servants in the body of Christ, and they gave them opportunities to lead in various ways. Paul commends Phoebe in Romans, a deaconess of the church at Sencree. In fact, it's likely that Phoebe was actually the one who hand-delivered the letter of Romans. You know, how cool is that? She was given that task. Deaconesses continue to be a thing throughout church history. They are found in the works of Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Pliny, Basil of Caesarea, John Chrysostom, and Gregory of Nyssa. They were discussed at the Council of Nicaea, and they are still here today. Uh, In various ways. To be frank, there are many tasks within the local church that are uniquely designed for women and we should not be afraid to let our women serve in the body of Christ. But whether male or female the office of deacon has survived from Acts chapter 6. Paul writes in Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all The saints who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, right? They were there in the early church. Deacons continued to be in the church without a second thought all the way through the sixth century. Catholicism eventually developed the office of archdeacon or archdeacon, which began to change the office in the eyes of the church. The deacons uh, started becoming a stepping stone on the way to the priesthood, right? Almost like a junior elder. And they were often paid positions as well. And then thanks to the reformers in the 1500s, they recovered the biblical model of servanthood for evangelicals. And we still have a plurality of humble deacon servants in our churches today. So this is who they are. You feel educated? I said uh, last week you will be held responsible for the things you learn from God's word. And I hope that you're taking these things to heart. But we have to ask now, what do the deacons do? What do the deacons do? Well, to be honest, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot of what the deacons do, does it? This makes it difficult for us to apply, you know? But it also gives us some good flexibility, doesn't it? Based on Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy 3, along with the use of word diaconos in the scripture, there are at least three realms of deacon ministry that I teach to our folks here. Those three realms are physical needs, logistical needs, and spiritual needs. Physical needs. We need to be careful with this one because it's easy for us to sum up the ministry of the deacon as cutting the grass in the side yard, right? Physical needs. Anyone can do that. So anybody can be a deacon, right? The work of the deacon is far more than cutting the grass in the side yard. Amen? But it's also not less than that. The church is not a building. We, we tend to, to think about our offices, you know, with, with this building that, that has maintenance needs. You know, we have to change the air filters. We have to move tables and chairs. We have to keep oil in the church van. We have to bring our shop vacs in when the toilet starts overflowing, right? And these are things that, that deacons certainly do. But the church isn't a building. It's not. We'll talk about that more next week, right? Saints, members of the household of God. We are the living stones that God has put into place as his people. We are the chosen ones, the forgiven ones, the adopted ones, the family of God. Elders shepherd the flock of God among you. Deacons serve the flock of God among you. So we think about physical needs. We also need to think about the physical needs of the people. Far more important than brick and mortar is body and soul. Is anyone being neglected? Are there members who are struggling with needs in their home? Did someone's car break down? Do they need a ride? Is someone having surgery? Do they need to be taking food to their home? Chores done around their house? Does someone need to go and let the dog out? Does someone need to watch the kids while they take care of a family emergency? Maybe there is a financial crisis, and they need help to get by for a few days. These should not be terrible dilemmas for a church with a plurality of deacons. In fact, these shouldn't be hard dilemmas for any church that is practicing Christian values, right? Because we know the one-anothers of the New Testament. We love and bear burdens. We should all be doing this deaconing Work, And I'll just say a quick word, you know, deacons throughout history have always had some hand in benevolence ministry as well. Some role in giving financial aid to members from the very beginning. Acts chapter 2, they had all that they needed. They were selling their possessions to make sure that everybody was taken care of. And we know we should do something about it, right? So we give secretly. We sometimes take up love offerings. Sometimes we even do fundraisers. For families in our church. But what would it look like if we saw more ordered, benevolent ministry among our deacons in the replant? That's something I think we ought to explore so that no one is neglected in our fellowship. So, those are physical needs, but there's also logistical needs. The Bible calls us to gather regularly for worship, to encourage one another as the day draws near. As we gather together in uh, in worship, in in small groups and in one-on-ones, a variety of changing seasons, we need deacons who can help logistically. How are we going to get the daily distribution to the widows? These are the questions that the deacons ought to ask. There's, There's an administrative side to the deacon ministry. Who is prepping the Lord's Supper? Is someone standing at the door greeting visitors as they arrive? How is our security? Is everyone safe when we gather? Who's working the nursery? Are they provided for? Do they have everything they need? What about audiovisual now in 2021? Are the slides taken care of? Do they have everything that they need? And keep in mind... The deacons may not do all of these things. But they should make sure that these things get done. And that means they may have to delegate certain tasks. Seven men in a church of 3,000 plus. You think they delegated anything? I think they had to. And so... This is multiplication. This is making disciples. This is deacons mentoring other servants to serve in the body of Christ. This is recruiting. This is coordination, right? To make sure that everyone is taken care of and everything is provided for. But this does not mean they have the same administration or oversight as the elders. Mark Dever gives a a helpful example. If elders say, let's drive to Pennsylvania... It's not the deacon's responsibility to say, no, let's drive to Virginia. However, the deacons might say, we don't have enough gas to get to Pennsylvania. Maybe we should rethink this plan. Right? That's helpful. The deacons aren't there to circumvent the authority of the elders. The deacons work together with the elders, helping think through the logistics of how things will get done. And finally, there is a spiritual element to the deacon ministry. The Holy Spirit doesn't just equip us to do grunt work that no one else wants to do, right? The Holy Spirit equips us to minister to human souls. The deacon does not have to be a professional counselor. He doesn't have to have the whole Bible memorized. He doesn't have to pray with every sick person in the hospital. But we picked out spiritual people for a reason. The deacons see when someone is sitting by themselves on Sunday. Which is all too common in COVID, isn't it? The deacons want to have spiritual conversations with the sheep. The deacons want to encourage others in the body of Christ. The deacons want to call out sin and be watchful of sin in the body and urge individuals towards repentance. Deacons should be heavily involved in matters of church discipline and rescuing lost sheep. Deacons pray for church members and genuinely care about the souls of our congregation. Consider the dilemma again of Acts chapter 6. There was a divide happening in real time. They weren't just like, ah, you know, it's just, you know, a a physical thing. They'll they'll figure it out. They'll get along. No. This, This was, you know coming apart at the seams over racial tension and cultural preferences. And so the deacons came in as these shock absorbers to put an end to it immediately and to fix the divide and bring unity to the body of Christ. Deacons want the church to be united and they want the church to express love for one another as Christ has loved us. They are spiritual people. And again, this isn't a comprehensive list, of deacon responsibilities, but it's a good start, I think. You'll notice that I haven't talked much about the elder-led congregation. So again, why does the office of deacon even matter? Is this that important? Do they have any place in this at all? It does matter. It matters a lot. This is a gift to the body of Christ, it matters to God. Is anyone being neglected? Are, are there members who are struggling with needs in their home? It matters because without oil, these people will not be taken care of. Right? The office of deacon keeps the engine running smoothly. We are to equip one another for the work of deaconing. So deacons equip other deacons and keep the the, the list moving and and the, the vehicle moving forward. We are responsible to serve in the body of Christ. And deacons propel that ministry like pouring fuel on a fire. It keeps discipleship alive in the body of Christ. When we see our deacons serve, when we see our deacons delegate tasks to others, we get to be a part of the service of Christ and we are fulfilling what God intended His church to be. But it also matters because we must be careful not to blur the lines, again, between elder and deacon. This confuses the elders, and it confuses the deacons, and it confuses the congregation when we do that. It doesn't help anybody, right? We want to work together as a team, and and I'm all about that. But there is nothing wrong with being crystal clear about who does what, right? That's helpful in the body of Christ. I believe that glorifies God, and it shows our commitment to the Scriptures above all else, When we do that, elders deacon through shepherding and oversight. And I'll say it again, deacons deacon through service. And when the deacons do their work well, the elders are freed up to shepherd without distraction. As a result of the seven men in Acts chapter 6, the word of God continued to increase. And disciples were multiplied greatly in the early days, right? They had had time to spend in the Word and with the body as a result of the deacon ministry. I have to spend time on this, whether it's eight sermons or ten sermons or twenty sermons, because it matters to the future of our church. Our engine will seize up. We want the the Word to go forth and to increase among us. So we need elders to do the work of elders. We need deacons to do the work of elders. Of deacons. And finally, it matters because it follows the very footsteps of Jesus. It follows the very footsteps of Christ Himself. I mentioned it earlier. What was Jesus doing on the night before his death? Washing feet. Washing feet. John 13, verse 12. And then when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Jesus taught us how to be deacons by his deaconing towards us. He loved us first. He served us first. He deaconed until the point of death, giving his life as a ransom for many. His deaconing is our livelihood. He washed far more than our feet. He washed our sin-laden hearts with his holy blood. And gave us eternal life through redemption, the ministry of reconciliation, being made right with a holy God, which could never have been possible unless He had come to earth to serve us first. And so now, because Christ is in us and the Holy Spirit empowers us, we serve as He has served us. And I would encourage you if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you have no idea how to be a deacon. You have no idea how to be a servant in the body of Christ, and you never will until Christ empowers you from the inside out. Come to Christ. So, the deacons, we've got a few. I mean, we've got five. How do you serve this body? How do you serve this body? Ask yourself that seriously. How has God gifted you for such a time as this to serve this body? And after you ask how, ask who. Who am I serving? Who am I serving this week? Who am I serving this month? How can I be a better servant to these individuals? And then after the deacons do that, everybody ought to be asking, How am I serving this body? How are you serving? We'll talk more about the members next week because all of us have a task at hand in this replant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its clearness. Uh, Thank you, Father, for its flexibility. And thank you, Father, for uh, your forgiveness and how we miss the mark many, many times in trying to be the church that you call us to be. And yet you equip us day by day, you refine us, you grow us up, you sanctify us. You are good and you are faithful uh, and you have provided richly for this body in Jesus. Thank you for giving us the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you that you have called us to yourself, you deaconed us first. And so, Father, now we can serve you and serve one another. We pray for our deacons, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would raise up more like them who love this body sincerely who are spiritually minded, who care about unity, and who do hard things for the flock, who seek to, to know the souls in this congregation and serve them dutifully. And Father, we pray for, uh, again, the elders in our church as well, that, uh, that they would shepherd and, and deacon through the ministry of the word and through prayer. And that we together would work as a team uh, to be what your church has called us to be. Uh, so Father, I pray that we would take these things to heart, we'd be changed by them, and we would know how you want us to operate. In the replant, we thank you for your glory. We thank you for worshiping with us and receiving our praises. Uh, So, Father, just as we are, we come as servants of the Most High. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, We're going to have a time to respond. I'd encourage all of you to to take some time to think about your own service uh, to this church, think about your own service to others. Um, This is a great time to cast off uh, maybe some selfishness you found in your own heart. Uh, When you see Christ, the selfless one, the propitiation for our sin, who humbly came down, um, would you humbly uh, ask the Lord to remove those things from you so you can serve Him in the power of the Spirit? If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, repent and believe in Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Our uh, musicians are going to come forward and we're going to sing that good old hymn of the faith, Just As I Am. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com. Or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.